0: Learn more at marines.com
3: Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. It's an ease, the worst footballer I've ever seen.
0: I'm coming back to England, Barn, and I'm keeping my titles.
3: I just remember the atmosphere was incredible. I think it was one of the games that I couldn't wait to get out of.
0: That
1: that was a really important moment in winning the bid as well.
3: Yeah, it just puts you on a spot. <laughs> like you just kinda of done there with me. <laughs> at least you joined in. I like that. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast, the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic students who interview some of the biggest names in sport. This podcast has been set up by Techno Wood School and our aim is to teach our students new skills through podcasting. Each week we chat to famous sportsmen and women from around the world. We delve deep into their sporting careers, their highs and lows and what makes them one of the best athletes in their sport. All of our students' hard work and dedication has paid off as we've recently won a Global Sports Podcast Award for the Best Equality and Social Sports Podcast. Last that's enough for me, I'm going to hand you over to the stars of the show, which are our students who host the podcast, and I will let them introduce today's guest. Thank you.
0: Technowood School is a school for autistic children and young adults, and we have set this podcast up to provide our peoples with a fantastic opportunity to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sportsmen and women from a variety of different sports. Join us today on the TWS Sports Podcast. It's one of Britain's greatest ever athletes. She is a Paralympian, crossbench peer in the House of Lords, motivational speaker and a broadcaster. Welcome to the podcast, Dame Tani Grey-Thompson.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Good to have you.
0: We like to start our podcasts with some quick fire questions before we start talking about your career. Are you ready?
1: Yes, I am ready. <laughs>
0: Um, who is the most famous person in your phone book? Uh,
1: oh gosh, the most famous person. So you like football, don't you?
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, Louis Frigo. Um, oh, who? Yeah, probably Louis Frigo. <laughs> is, he, is he famous enough?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay.
2: Cool. Uh, I've never heard of him, before, so maybe not that famous.
1: Okay. Um... Sorry. Marcus, uh, Marcel Dessay? No. Oh you're, oh, you're the wrong age, aren't you? Oh, that's really bad because you're, you're young, aren't you? Yeah, I know you're really um, Tanny. Okay. So, so that's, that's... Do
0: more
3: research. <laughs> do
1: you know what? You've just made me feel like really old in a lovely way. But thank you. you know, th- for people my age, true. they're quite famous. I,
2: I say you don't look your age at all.
1: Thank you very much.
2: I, that is such a lovely thing to say. Oh, I'm next. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why?
1: Oh, um, the Queen. (laughs) But it would have to be on a state function where she gets to wear like loads of diamonds and a massive tiara. Because um, I've always wanted like a real tiara, not one from a shop that's two pound fifty, but but one with like five hundred diamonds.
2: Yeah. I'm a girl just like you, so yeah. I can get behind that.
1: Diamonds, A lot, lot of diamonds, I would like. Yeah, yeah.
2: Barkley.
0: <laughs> if if you could go back to one day in your life, what would it be?
1: It would be. This is not very quick fire, is it? Um. For me. Um no, not really. It would be, it'd be a day in September 1992 when I won uh, my first Paralympic gold medal. And I'd kind of just say to myself, enjoy it a bit more. Because I was doing back-to-back racing and it was amazing. But it was like, right, I've got another race tomorrow. So I don't think I enjoyed it as much at the time as um, I should have done.
0: Um, I want to take you back to the very start. You were born with a condition called spina bifida can you explain to us what that is and how it affects your body
1: so um spina bifida affects people in loads of different ways but it's basically it's a problem with my spine and um uh when i was uh born uh i had a it was a kind of lump on my back which was the size of an egg and and that was my spinal cord was sticking out between the bones of um my um the vertebra so um, for me it means I'm paralyzed from the waist down so it means I can't walk I uh, can't feel my legs which actually you just got to be quite careful of because I could cut or scratch my legs oh, and I wouldn't know anything about it so for me it means that I'm a, I'm a wheelchair user.
2: May I add my sister Sam she doesn't have exactly what you have but she with her her spine was shaped in an intriguing angle when she was born so she's had to have, have a few things to do put this way she has metal rods in her back
1: I had them as well so I had I had the my spines a bit of a squiggly shape as well so I had that so but yeah it was um having having the rods in wasn't great it hurt a lot but it kind of saved my life so yeah it was it, it's one of those things that just sort of had mm-hmm. to happen
2: Matt, I believe that you, you my sister are incredibly brave to go through all that. Thank you. That's really kind.
3: Welcome to the part of the podcast where we are going to look at the photos. So we're going to do a... Tom and Alyssa here have a photo of a very iconic sporting moment in front of them. And I'm going to hand over to them. They're going to explain the best as they can the photo to you. And then you're going to have the length of the episode to try and guess what the photo is. And we'll give you the answer at the end. So basically this picture is a boxing and it's at a very
0: iconic moment and memorable moment in time um, and it's definitely in the past because it's black and white.
2: Yeah, we can we, we we can't make out any of these colors. <laughs> the
0: bi- the biggest um the biggest standpoint of it is it involves Muhammad Ali and uh he's striked another opponent down.
2: That looks painful.
0: And the opponent is wearing black shorts.
2: Are you sure it's black? I mean, we can't make out the colours.
0: True. It's got a signature on it. Um, He's got... He's facing upwards to look at Muhammad Ali, and Muhammad Ali has got his right arm kind of slanted to the right.
3: He looks very happy with um, himself. Well done, and we will come back at the end of the episode and give you the answer.
0: What was school like for you? Did you have the correct support and things put in place to help you? Um,
1: School was okay. I mean, I went to a local um, school, uh, for primary school. And then for high school, I had to go to a school that was, um, oh, I don't know, about 15 miles away um, from where I lived, because that was the only school in the area that would let wheelchair users in. Mm. So it it was really good education, but I wasn't kind of near any friends or anything like that which was um not not so so good but it really it helped me it was a great education it got me to university it helped me play sports so you know it was it was was pretty good and I I, I love playing sport at school so and I went to school that really encouraged it um so it was it was pretty good actually
2: mm. and this uh, when I hear when I hear that I get the feeling that I really wish that technical Word was was that existed all the way back then, when you were a kid. Because we have all sorts of kids here. In fact, I knew knew a few people who use wheelchairs. Mm. They left a long a while ago, but I knew them. They were my friends. Yeah. It's it's about
1: getting people the right education for them. Because actually, loads of young people need things that are different a lot will just fit on the pathway that everyone else does and then a lot just need things that are a bit different and and that's what we should be doing we should be um educating young people for for what they need not the sausage factory that we put them through
2: oh do you
0: do you remember the time in your childhood when you thought you could have been really good at what you did and compete around the world
1: um, I always kind of wanted to, to compete. Um, I, it took me a long time to realise I was any good. I mean, I wanted to be good, but um, I, 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 I was kind of quite a slow starter. So I swam and I played basketball and I did loads of other things and it was great, but it probably took me about five or six years for me to, to realise that I was going to be um, good.
2: Okay. As a child, what, what is your earliest memory of sport?
1: Uh, I was three years old and I was watching a a rugby match between Wales and New Zealand. And my mum was a mad Welsh rugby fan. And um, I remember her just shouting at the TV because um, I don't know what the ref had done, but he'd done something that she didn't approve of. So, um, yeah, and and she used to make us wear a bubble hat and a scarf, even though we were in the house watching telly. So I remember <laughs> sitting on the sofa at three wearing a bubble hat and scarf um, and... Watching the rugby,
2: that must have been quite warm. <laughs> it was,
1: yeah. My mum was no. like, you know, you have to wear a bubble hat, and it was like, okay, mum. She, she was slightly bonkers about rugby. She was a <laughs> massive rugby fan, so yeah.
0: Did Did she, by the way, ever get to see a match in a stadium? By the way,
1: yeah, she used to go um, and um, she used to go and watch Cardiff play, and and then she kind of used to go to the stadium, but. Um, yeah we we used to not always want to sit with her because she wasn't rude um but she used to just shout come on wales a lot and and it'd be and it'd be like like, come on wales come on wales come on and like mum it's okay like yeah and so yeah we used to sort of like try and sort of slightly move away from her but she was fab Um, but yeah she she just shouted a lot in a nice way
2: i'm glad your hearing's okay
0: Your first major sporting event was the 1988 Paralympics in Seoul. Here you won a bronze medal in the 400 metres. Can you tell us what that Paralympics was like for you?
1: I mean, it's amazing. I was 19 and being in South Korea was so different. I mean, the culture and the food and the language and, you know, not being able to understand like any road signs whatsoever so, you know, in, in kind of France or Germany, you can kind of pick up words really quickly, but it's, it was, everything was so different. Um, and, and then winning a bronze medal was, was one of the best races of my life, uh, in terms of I stepped up and I did a big personal best and it was really lovely and it kind of, um, really helped me decide that this is what I wanted to do with, with my life. So that was Brill. Um, And, you know, I came back and I decided that I wanted to, you know, re-look at my training, look at what I was doing and um, try and improve and and be better for for Barcelona. So, yeah, it it was an incredible experience going there at at 19.
0: Mm. Um, What was it like at the Paralympics in the 80s? Was there a lot of media coverage? Did lots of fan attend?
1: So there was some media coverage. There wasn't um like loads, but it was packed, absolutely packed. And um the um the organizing committee encouraged uh local people to come on. and the tickets I think were free or very, very cheap. So loads of people came. So every day the stadium you know, had tens of thousands of people in. So that was really cool. And and Barcelona was the same. Barcelona was was packed. Other games, a little bit up and down on who came to watch. But um, it, it was an amazing experience competing. in. You know, up until then, I hadn't really competed in front of very big crowds. And then suddenly, I was competing in front of really big crowds. Um, in
0: 1992, you won the London Marathon. What was that like? And did you prefer racing in spirits or marathons?
1: um if you're having a good day in the marathon it's amazing because you know it's you're in a pack of people and there's people sprinting off the front and there's lots of things happening and it's brilliant if you're having a bad day in the marathon it's really miserable you know uh i remember doing the boston marathon one year and i got dropped early on and i was just stuck between two packs of women and you know, so I had twenty four miles where I was just pushing on my own, and that that wasn't a, an awful lot of fun to be honest mm. so um this, my favorite sprint event was the four hundred meters because actually, even though it's one lap of the track, it's really technical, so you can you can run like a perfect race and you just time it so your last push that you can do you know breathe it gets you across the finish line if you miss time it. And you hit that point 10 meters before the finish line then you sort of crawl over the line It's it's, it's pretty miserable so I, I love the the technicality of the 400 meters and getting it right and getting each segment of the race right so yeah it depends on what you're having a good or a bad day at to be honest
4: okay
2: that same year when you went to Barcelona
0: yeah Barcelona
2: to compete in the Paralympics what are your memories of of this and was it a very su- successful game for
1: you? It was a successful game for me, so I won um four goals and a silver and I broke two world records, which is like really exciting um It's amazing because it so uh, between the four years from seoul to Barcelona, I changed my training um i I was doing things in quite a different way. I sort of changed um uh coaches and um it, it kind of i also i graduated from university in 91 so i had a year where i could do a lot more traveling um and and spend some time away training so um that that really improved my performance uh, quite a lot and it was it was amazing loads of people came to watch and the weather was nice um and there was loads of tv coverage and radio coverage so it was it was a really exciting games to be at my family came to watch um and that was nice So um, it it was an amazing experience being in Barcelona.
0: Being a wheelchair user, how did you find the access to places when you were in public? Was the community set up to make it easier for wheelchair users and has it improved over the years?
1: Um, It didn't used to be very good at all. You know, there didn't used to be any sort of drop curbs or accessible toilets were really hard to find, you know. So um, you kind of had to be really careful that, if you went out, you didn't necessarily know where any accessible toilets were. So you had to be really careful what you drank. Um, it has improved a lot. Um, so you know, lots of restaurants now have accessible toilets and lifts and things, but it's it's still not brilliant. You know, there's there's still two-thirds of the London tube network that I can't get on as a wheelchair user. So it's better than it was, but it's not as good as as I'd like it to be. Mm.
0: Four years later, you went to USA to take part in the Atlanta Paralympics. We heard in an interview you had done that you said it wasn't the best Paralympics. Why was that?
1: Um, So they didn't really um, understand sort of the Paralympic movement. And um, it's kind of really weird because in America, they have amazing disability rights legislation. I mean, absolutely incredible. Um, and they have scholarships for disabled students and um you know it's but they they just didn't get understand the Paralympics, so they'd in Atlanta, which is a big baseball city, they'd um rescheduled all the baseball matches that would have taken place during the Olympics and put them on during the paralympics and and there wasn't much coverage, and the organization wasn't brilliant, so it was it was quite a disappointing games to be at because it kind of felt like an afterthought to the Olympics. It felt that we were, we were slightly forgotten and nobody was really interested.
0: So um, from your experience of travelling the world, are some countries more understanding of disabilities than others?
1: Yeah, absolutely they are. Um, so, so bizarrely, America is a really good place to be a wheelchair user um, for access because everywhere um, is wheelchair accessible. Um, because the legislation is so strong. Um, I mean, I've been very lucky. I've got to travel all over the world. So, you know, China, which I went to, wasn't brilliant for access, but people were really happy to kind of help. So I remember, um, you know, needing to go somewhere and there were quite a few like little steps up and down and I was trying to figure out if there was another way around and just some some local young men just sort of pointed and said, Do you want to go there? And I was like, yeah, and they just picked up my chair and carried me. So... You know I'd rather do it myself, but it was it was really interesting that they were so willing to help um, and and to make my life sort of a, a little bit easier. So um yeah, it's very different every country you go to. You never quite know what to expect when when you're going somewhere else.
0: Um, four years later, um, you made it to another Paralympics, and this time it was Sydney to uh, two thousand. That was another great game for you.
1: Yeah, Sydney was was really good. And, um, you know, again, I, I you've got to kind of recreate yourself as an athlete every four years because you can't just keep doing the same thing all the time because you don't improve. And um, I uh, I won four gold medals in Sydney. Mm. And, um, yeah, it, it was yeah, – I, I think at that point as well, you're kind of – you're getting older. And I think even at that point I realised that if I could do another Games – Athens would be my last one um, because of, of how old I was. So, um, yeah, and and Sydney was great. And they did a really good job on the Paralympics. And the weather was – actually, the weather was a bit mixed, to be honest. I remember my 400 metres, it tipped down with rain, and that was really miserable. It's always miserable racing a 400 metres in the rain. Um, but um, they they got the, the Paralympics and, you know, their, their athletes uh, – you know got a lot of media coverage and a lot of support which was really nice to see
2: um i apologize for this question because i'm not so sure you'll be 100% comfortable with it have you ever faced any discrimination if so how would you how do you overcome that and what advice would you give to other wheelchair users who may face it i mean i've
1: experienced loads of discrimination and um from being little you know when i was very young and people pulling their kids out of my way saying don't get too close to her you might catch it whatever it's a you know I was like okay Okay. um my my parents were amazing at explaining to me that there are just some mean people out in the world who don't understand that I'm different and and they helped me me deal with that um pretty well so what I still get which I sort of find not funny is the wrong word but I get um people like you and they kind of point their finger at my wheelchair it's like oh you can't do that why oh it's not safe well getting on a bus or you know and and people have a, some people have a view of what being a wheelchair is like so i've i've had someone say to me oh your your life must be really sad i was like no it's it's not it, it's not so um i think you know age and i mean traveling sport teaches you to be quite thick skinned about some of these things and um whenever anyone says to me, Oh, like people like you can't do that, my response is, what do you mean, Welsh people? And then, oh, or anyway, oh, sorry, did you mean because I'm a wheelchair user that I can't do that? Are you decide so I try not to be stroppy and rude. I do. I mean, I mean occasionally it it does come out a little bit, but but if somebody tells me, you know, oh well, people. I've, I've also had people say to me, "People like you shouldn't have been allowed to have children because I've got a daughter." And it's like, what, well, what, what do you mean by that? So, yeah, I, I try to kind of be polite and try to explain to people, but it, to be honest, it's not always easy because there are some some strange people in the world. Probably what I get a bit more of is, you know, because I used to be an athlete and people recognise me, which is lovely. Or if I've done something on TV, I'll get. I had someone recently come up to me and say. Oh, you're tanny, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize you look like that in real life. Like, yeah, I do. And they said, um, oh, you know, the BBC have got really good makeup artists, haven't they? They made you look really good. And you go, yeah, yeah, they did. And so I think if you're in people's living rooms on TV, they kind of think they know you because they've seen you do an interview or because you're in their living room. They treat you a bit like family. And and sometimes people don't mean to be rude, but they 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 sometimes are. So for me, I, I try to educate people and I try to just say, look, I'm different, but that doesn't make my life worse, or it doesn't mean I have less value. So yeah, I think as you get older, you just get better at dealing with with some people who are a bit mean.
2: Yes, I a hundred percent understand that. I went sometime last year I went through something horrible.
1: There are some very strange people in this world, and actually, you know, it's um you just need to understand that people are different. Everyone's different, and we just need to to recognize that a bit more.
2: Yes, but it was horrible. So I can't, I have understand. I can't one hundred percent understand what you went through, but I can understand you in a way. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm I'm sorry about what you went through. It's it's I really hard.
0: Well. Yeah, I'm the same. Your last Paralympics was Athens 2004. What was that Games like for you? And had you seen much progression in the Paralympic Games for your first one in 1988 to your last one in
1: 2004? Yeah, I mean, I knew it was going to be my last game, so you kind of try and make the most of it, really, because I knew my sports career was coming to an end. And... um uh Yeah, there was a lot of progression in the movement in terms of, you know, more athletes being known to the British public and more media coverage. Um, And so it it was a really exciting time to be involved in in Paralympic sport. Um, You know, and the London Marathon got a lot more coverage, you know, and things like that. So I kind of wasn't sad when my my career finished because I'd loved what I'd done. I had a great time doing it. And I, um, uh, you know, you can only compete in elite sport for so long and then you have to go and do something else. So I I was kind of really excited about the future and other things that I was going to be able to do.
4: Here at the Amethyst Academies Trust, we are incredibly ambitious for our schools and our pupils and we believe that there is no ceiling on what can be achieved by anyone. Working in partnership with Penhall School and Techno Wood School, we are proposing to refurbish the beautiful Penhall Mansion, a Grade 2 star listed building in Wolverhampton, into an exciting and professional specialist vocational college for young people aged 14 to 19 with special educational needs and disabilities. Changing the face of employability for young people with SEND, the college will offer specialist career pathways and in-house vocational learning experiences for students that will be open to the public. Students will be able to develop their skills, knowledge and flourish in confidence across a wide range of audiences. We need to raise £400,000 to refurbish the mansion and provide accessible and stimulated learning and working spaces for students and the community. We are relying on public donations, business relationships and support, no matter how big or small, to make this college a reality for our students. Donate today. Go to www sedgwick.aatrust.co.uk Sedgwick College. Discover bright futures.
0: You ended your career with 11 golds, 4 silvers, 1 bronze medal at the Paralympic Games. Um, 5 golds, 4 silvers, 3 bronze medals at the World Championships. You won the London Marathon 6 times and you broke 30 world records. One amazing career, but I am... Going to push you for an answer, out of all those amazing achievements, which one means the most to you and why?
1: That's the easiest question you've asked me today. Um, It's the 100 metres in Athens, which was my weakest event, my strongest event, which was the 800. I'd spectacularly messed up um, sort of two days before, and it was pretty hard because that was, you know, um, yeah, the event that I felt most confident in and i came back and i won the 100 where i remember being 6 12 times on the warm up track because i was so nervous and uh, to win that was was it was one of the best races of my career not just the race itself and the technicality of it but having such a miserable first race to then kind of hold myself together to come back and win the next one was was i was really proud of myself for that one
0: you were a member of the team that brought the Olympic and Paralympics to London in 2012. Mm. I want to take you back to the 6th of July, 2005 in Singapore. This is the day you found out that you had won the bid. Can you talk to us about that day and what are your memories of it?
1: We had a lot of meetings and um, a lot of things to go to. And, um, you know, that there were five cities bidding for the Games and then... You know, there's a vote in one city dropped out, and then another city dropped out, and then it was between us and Paris. And Paris absolutely thought that they were going to win, and um, uh, it it was quite scary um, waiting for the announcement. And the president of the IOC, Jacques Rog, you know, we'd had to listen to lots of speeches, and we just wanted to know the result. And there were about 100 people from the the London bid in the room, and about 100 people from Paris. And um, it, it was just, yeah, a lot of waiting. And I remember trying to pick up my glass of water. My hand was shaking. And so when Jacques Rogge, the president, said the winning city is London, everyone just went, like, everyone's jumping up and down and hugging each other. And it was amazing. And then it was like, OK, we've got to build it now. We've got to make it happen. So that was, um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, probably the most incredible thing I've been part of. I mean, the games were stunning and, and brilliant. But but winning the bid, so much work had gone into making it happen that uh, it was just, yeah, it was brilliant.
2: London has a clear message for the bid and that was to focus it on kids and the future. How... Involved, involved involved were you in creating, creating the vision
3: well
1: done. so i I was involved um in the bids from the beginning, and then uh, after we won, I kind of worked on um, delivery and lots of different bits, so um things like wheelchair access, um, but also um, you know, we had to apply for planning permission for all the venues um and and get the designs in and do that and i worked on some of the volunteering program and and so i, I got a massive experience for you know doing it um but, but to part of that was you know what is london going to do differently to any games and what they did was they talked about young people which is really important um and i was a bit involved with that um but they they also that like the physical legacy, of the buildings, they looked at that in a really different way as well. And, and for the, the bid and everything that went into it, London was the only city that put together a pack, what they were going to do for the Olympics and what they were going to do for the Paralympics. Cause there were a few things that were different and um, every other city just said, Oh, whatever we do for the Olympics, we'll do for the Paralympics. But actually London was really clear on, on what it was, was going to do. So, um, I th- I think that was a big part of it. And definitely the bit in the presentation where, you know, 30 young people from the East End of London came and and Sebco, who's the chair of the bid, said, you know, we're these are the young people we want to do it for. That that was a really important moment in in winning winning the bid as well. So um it was I was involved in loads and loads of different bits of it, which was um really good education actually for life out of sport and what, what I went on to do afterwards.
0: Um, fast forward in seven years to London games, focusing on the Paralympics and London seemed to ensure that the Paralympics was equal to the Olympics in terms of broadcasting fans and the Olympic village. Mm. What are your thoughts on the London Paralympics?
1: They were just the most amazing time of my life. Um, there's a bit of me that would have liked to have competed, but I was way too old by then. Um, but uh, it was it was just like a moment in time. But the Olympics and Paris where people spoke to each other in London and people were really excited and enjoying themselves and you know being quite nice to each other. Um, I mean the games were incredible, but you can't expect a sporting event of 10, 12 days to change everything. So it it really highlighted disability sport and Paralympians, and 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 as part of the games, there were lots of things that happened on accessibility around London, but you know it, you can't expect the games to fix everything. So there's still loads of stuff that needs to be done for for disabled people. But the games themselves, I mean, I just barely slept because I was working, um, doing some commentary, and I was going to events and it was kind of, you've got to enjoy this moment because we're never going to get a Paralympics in the UK in my lifetime again. So it was kind of really important to in- enjoy that.
2: Did the London 2012 game achieve achieve, achieve all of the goals? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I, I think it achieved um, loads. So in terms of like the park and, you know, the... Um, London Stadium, which is now used for football and athletics and got the velodrome for cycling. Yeah, it did. It, it's no other city before had thought about what would happen to those venues after the games and the housing that's there now. That is brilliant. The kind of the promise to, you know, try and change people's level of physical activity um, and inspire a nation to be active is really difficult because you've got to put a load of money into that as well. And, and money wasn't invested in that. And it was probably never going to be. So I'd say it probably achieved a lot of what it wanted to do, but it didn't achieve everything. But that's where you've got the sporting event, and then you need government to step up and, and pay for other things. And, you know, the games were expensive. Well, the 10 billion. So, I mean, if that was in my bank account, that's, that's a lot of money. But But actually, it's what the country, the UK, spends in three days on – NHS housing roads schools you know all that stuff, so you know it's um, it, it probably needed another ten billion spent on schools programs education changing PE and facilities, and and that money didn't 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 come with it.
0: Um, you became a dame in two thousand and five, and you received the honour from the Queen. What was that like? And did you talk to the Queen?
1: And. Um, I did talk to the Queen. Um, it's quite nerve-wracking, to be honest. Um, it's, um, you kind of don't want to mess it up because she's the Queen. So, um, yeah, get going to Buckingham Palace um, and, um, you know, making sure you're wearing the right stuff and all that, yeah, it's, it's a bit scary. There is one bit um, that I, I, after Sydney, we had, there was a reception at Buckingham Palace for all the Olympians and Paralympians. And my picture was in the paper the next day. Uh, and on a couple of newspapers, it was like front page. And it was like, this is really exciting. Um, and I was wearing this like really smart suit, but I was also wearing a pair of purple Doc Martin boots. And my mum went really mad with me. And she's like, I can't believe you went to meet the Queen and you were wearing Doc Martins. And um, she was like, what's the Queen going to think of me? I I'm sure the Queen's not thinking of you, mum. And that was the wrong thing to say to my mum as well. But um, yeah, there's um, she, she was like, the Queen's going to be so... Im-. She wanted me to write to the Queen to apologise for me wearing Doc Martens to go and visit the Queen. It was like, OK, I didn't. Um, and um, yeah, there's so sort of funny moments like that. But yeah, it's really exciting meeting her. And she's lovely and kind and asks loads of questions. And um, yeah, it's it goes really quickly. And then you can't really remember what she said, which is all a bit weird.
0: In 2010, you became Baroness Grey Thompson and now work in the House of Lords. How did that happen? And is it a role you enjoy?
1: Um, I love it. I mean, it's hard and um, uh, it's, we work long hours. We work in an amazing building. I don't know if you can see all the wood paneling behind me. I mean, this is my office. It's it's beautiful. A bit untidy behind me as well, but we won't talk about that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do love it, but um, the bit I don't love is we've got a lot of mice in the building. Oh, do you? And I'm not very keen on mice, and sometimes you see them kind of scuttling down the corridors and things like that. But after a bit you kind of get used to them. But no, I, I do love it because it's a chance to change things. It's a chance to, you know, I work on education and I work on disability rights. Um and um yeah it's it's it, it's a good place to be. And people here are really lovely.
2: We just want to know because we're curious are you in the House of Lords right now? Yes I am. So this is my office.
1: I don't. Um. Hang on. I don't think I can turn my computer around. me. So. Oh, hang on. I've just switched my screen off. So that's good. <laughs> oh no. Hang on. You're gonna come back. Yeah, you're back. That's good. Can you see me?
2: No, we can't.
1: Hang on. There you go. I'm back. Yeah, but you're back. I have a lot of books. I have loads of books. Yes, a lot of books. I have A lot of books. <laughs> I yeah, books. Th- th- this is my office. Yeah. I now have to move my screen back. from Where I've moved it right
2: there we go okay can you talk to us about what a typical day in the house of lords like look like looks like for you
1: um there is no like average day it changes every single day so I normally start work uh, about nine um actually my first meeting today was eight thirty, and then I've got a whole bunch of meetings and I'm chairing a meeting this afternoon and then I've got a meeting outside and then I come back so I'll finish tonight about ten o'clock so we do we do work long long hours um but it varies like every day is different different meetings different things I'm working on um sometimes it's a bit chaotic. yesterday was really chaotic. I just went from one meeting to the next all day um so yeah there's not not a typical day but um that's mm-hmm. what makes it really fun and exciting as well that you you can't get bored here because there's always so much going on what are you doing in the house of
2: lords to make sport more exclusive for all inclusive not exclusive inclusive <laughs> <laughs> um
1: so um i i do a lot on um trying to get people to be physically active to kind of move around more and to to do stuff um yeah. we we have lots of debates and discussions and um there's there's different you know ways that we can encourage the government to think about what they do um and uh, I work in something called GT care. So this is about protecting like athletes, you know, when, when young people join sort of sports programs and they want to be an elite athlete, um, I do a lot of work on trying to kind of help um, sort of support them, protect them and um, also get them to think about life outside sport. You know, if you get to be an elite athlete, your career is not that long, you know, in t- you know, you 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 probably finished by your mid thirties. So you've got to find something else to do. So so I do a lot around trying to encourage people to think about their life outside of sport as well. Um, so I basically spend a lot of time talking about sport, which is great because I love it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, a few months ago, we spoke to Paralympian Jade Hall, who I believe you train. She said something very interesting, and it was that the Paralympics has more power than the Olympics does, as it has more power to change perception. Would you agree with this?
1: The Paralympics, you know, has um, an amazing opportunity to change attitudes because it highlights, you know, disabled people. It shows, you know, all the different things they can do rather than potentially talking about the the, the things that they can't do. Um, and and I think it is is really powerful. Um, you know, the Paralympics has so it's two two parts to it. There's the elite sport, but then there's also like highlighting d- disabled people where. Um, I don't think the Olympics is is the same in terms of of that. So um, the the Paralympics has a a massive responsibility to 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 put something back and to help disabled people around the world.
0: Um, we have a question here from a listener called Lucy. She is nineteen years old and has spina bifida, and she wants to ask you a question. Her question is. With your disability, were you worried about having a baby? I want to become a mum, but I am nervous about it due to my disability.
1: Um, so I, I went to see um, my doctors and I talked about it. And I talked about, um, I mean, the, how, how you actually give birth. Because, um, uh, you know, my, my doctors were amazing, actually, at going through, you know, some of the positives, some of the challenges. And they, they, they were absolutely brilliant. So um, I, I I don't think, you know, there's, there's nothing kind of to be nervous of. It's actually just go and talk to people and go and talk. Like, I'm not an expert in, in having babies. I've only had one. So I, I went and spoke to a doctor who delivered probably thousands of babies because that's his job and that's what he's trained for. So that's, yeah, go, go go and speak to someone who's an expert. And I found someone who knew about spina bifida and who, who you know, knew what they were talking about. And then then it was good. But I do have to say becoming a mum is the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. Um, it's, it's, it's really hard work, mostly because my daughter didn't sleep until she was two. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it's amazing and she's incredible and she's 20 now and she's just fab. But, but it is um, hard work
0: um, each week on the podcast we ask our guests to question for another guest on the podcast however the person does not know who they are asking the question to this question <laughs> comes from former Wolves footballer Matt Murray, who asks when when you were taking part in a sport how important was routine for you
1: Oh, good question. Routine is really important because when you're training, you know, you've got to, it's not just about the training session you do. You've got to have enough rest before you do your next one and you've got to eat right and, you know, you've got to sleep right. And so routine is really, really important in terms of how you slot everything in. Um, And to be honest, training is a bit boring, to be honest. Um, But competing is amazing. So you've you've just got to get the stuff done, and you can't skimp, and you can't avoid it. You've just got to get the training sessions done and, and in. And I I say to young athletes, like pennies in the bank, every training session is a penny in the bank, and then when you're in a race, that's when you 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 kind of need to draw on all those things. So um, yeah, it's routine is really really important because you're obviously training six days a week, fifty weeks of the year, and um, you know you you. you've got to make it count because you can't go back, you know, a week before a major games. You can't do all the training sessions that you missed. You just can't do that.
0: Right. Um, Tani, could you think of a question that we can ask our next guest, please? However, we are not going to tell you who the guest is. The question could be anything at all.
1: So my question is, if you hadn't have done the sport that you did what would your next favourite sport have been? So the reason I ask that is that I always wanted to play basketball and I was rubbish at it. And I um, uh, I, I started doing wheelchair racing and then I became good at it. I, I would still love to be really good at basketball and I'm not. So I'm really interested in what is the the person's kind of sport they'd love to have done, but they weren't very good at.
0: Thank you for that question. Welcome back to the part of the podcast where we look at the photos. The answer was the boxing photos is Muhammad Ali and Sonny Liston on May 25th, 1965. Ali fought Liston for the second time. Muhammad Ali knocked Sonny Liston out in the first round. I would just like to say a big thank you again to everyone who listens to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Please continue to leave reviews and um, pass our podcast on to your friends and family. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Tani. We really enjoyed speaking with you, and it means so much to us as a school to be to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you.
1: Brilliant. Thank you so much. It's been uh, really enjoyable. I've loved it. Thank you very much.
0: So, Alyssa, how, how did you feel talking to the Baroness Tani Grey-Thompson?
2: It was fun, but it was terrifying, terrifying at the same time. I was interviewing a Baroness. <laughs> that doesn't happen every day. It it was amazing. My first ever podcast, and I interview and I got to interview her. She's amazing. She and I thoroughly understand why she was made a baroness. Thoroughly understand. She's amazing.
0: Yeah, Um, I enjoyed everything about this episode because I also got to learn about um, Spina bifida, and um, I also got to learn about more about. um, not only the Paralympics but also like um, the pros and cons to like the life being um, disabled and I also like the fact that um, society has also been um, more aware of it now so there's also more help in society which is great and um, I enjoyed everything about this episode mm-hmm. so thank, thank you everyone for, li- for listening
2: thank you for listening everyone
0: make sure to follow uh, our social medias Twitter Instagram TikTok etc thank you <laughs> Bye. Bye. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism, and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and
1: sports combine. Sports Social
4: Podcast Network.
2: Step into the world of power,
1: loyalty.